Basketball can be a mysterious sport. The team whose logo is in this envelope will have the first pick in the NBA draft. Watch James. Now wanted a timeout, but too late to get it. And five minutes go up on the clock, overtime here in game one. Will Giannis win a title in a Milwaukee Bucks uniform? It's hard for me to say that, Jay, considering how loaded the Lakers are. I don't know if you've been watching uh, Taylor Horton Tucker over the last couple of days. But what if those mysteries could be solved? What if those conspiracies are reality? Truth is out there. Can you handle it? All right, I'm going to be honest to uh, everyone in the room right now, co host, guest in the room, the audience at home. Uh, it's Monday, June 6th, 6 p.m. I flew in uh, at 10 a.m. today, Los Angeles from Milwaukee, uh, and I finished up. A 12-day bender uh, between Milwaukee, Minnesota, back to Milwaukee. A lot of drinking, a lot of friends, a lot of hanging out, and uh, not a lot of sleep. I'm kind of running on fumes right now, and I've thought about um, just turning everything off a few times today. But instead, we're recording a podcast. Welcome back to the Hoop Truther Pod on a beautiful Monday, even though I have not been outside to see it. Joining me, as always, is Dre at Nick Andre ATR on Twitter, the hardest working man on Twitter. How are you doing, man? Doing good. Uh, my co-host is having a rough time right now, so let's be easy on him. But besides that, um, we got to smoke on that Boston pack, man. It was, it was a good game, too. Good game, too, man. I'm so happy. I, I was scared for a moment, but, hey, hey, we nodded up the series, so I'm definitely happy. Yeah, we had a Golden State fan in the chat. Dre will definitely talk about Game 2 in a second. First, though, let me introduce today's guest for the podcast. We've got Kevo at EasyMoneyKev7 on Twitter. You can also find his podcast anywhere podcasts are offered at the Kevo Bands Hoops podcast, including an episode that dropped today on June 6th. So go check that out if you've got a chance. Kevin, Kevo, how you doing, brother? Welcome to the show. Doing good, man. Been enjoying basketball. It is what it is. I know y'all, both y'all do y'all thing all the time. Nick, like you yes, said, sir. one of the hardest working people in this. So yeah. appreciate y'all for having me, man. Yes, sir. Yeah, Collective sir. brother. Yes, sir. We got a lot to cover today, guys. And uh, I'll give you a quick rundown really quick. We're going to start with the finals talk. Like Dre said, we're going to smoke some Boston pack after game two. Uh, we'll talk about some about the NBA draft. A lot of draft content coming from us in the future. We're going to do a full-blown mock draft in the future. But today, though, we'll talk about some of the best guards. I got some lifts down. I'm sure the boys brought some as well. And then news from around the league. It's not just playoff news anymore. We're finally getting some of that juicy drama, that hot goss from around the league. And I got the reports, I got the tweets, and we're going to send them out. But let's start with the finals, give you guys a little bit of background. Unless you don't know, I mean, there's, you know, two weeks between every finals game now, so you have a lot of time to digest it if you need. But Boston easily wins game one. Golden State easily wins game two. 
you can chalk it up to variance, shooting variance. Both of those teams have had hot shooting games throughout the entirety of the playoffs, but there have been noticeable adjustments. I have two here that I listed down, but I want to start with our resident Golden State Warriors fan and Nick Andre. Was it just variance, or did you see anything specific that you know helped you guys even up the series in that game too? I think we definitely turn up the notch defensively. Uh, when you look at game one and you look at Boston supporting cast, you know, everybody was just really having a good game. And it's crazy, too, because it's like, you know, when you think of I, – I can't remember exactly um, what exactly Jason Tatum shot in game one, but he definitely did shoot the ball particularly well. Right. But when you have guys like, you know, Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart snap it up, and then on top of that, you have Al Horford who knocks down, like, what, six threes in game one. Derek White yep. knocked down a good amount of threes as well. So when you get good production from those guys, you know, it's definitely hard to beat this Boston Celtic team, especially, you know, with how long they are. So going into game two, we obviously had to make that adjustment, obviously, um, you know, Steph, Steph had a good first quarter of game one, but obviously, you know, the rest of the, uh, the rest right. of the game, he didn't really play particularly well. So going into game two, I think, I think one of the biggest keys was, you know, stopping that supporting cast. You know, I think Al Horford only had like two points in game two. Uh, yep. Marcus Smart only had about two points as well. And then of course, you know, we're one of the best third quarter teams, if not the best third quarter team in the NBA. So that definitely helped. I think we outscored them like 30 mm-hmm. something to like 15. So yeah. that, def- that, that definitely gave us a boost. So, you know, besides that, um, you know, we still have a lot of issues per se for the Warriors. You know, Clay definitely has to find his rhythm. Right. Um, Jordan Poole has some good showings last night, so you know he definitely has to you know continue the momentum as well. But one thing I will say is I'm definitely happy that we were able to tie the series up before heading to Boston because if we if we went with the Boston down 0-2, I don't know what I I I have no right. idea like what like right. what would happen. The third quarter Warriors has been a thing, not even just this season. Since Steph, Curry, and Clay came to prominence in the league, the third quarter Warriors have been a thing, basically of legend in the NBA. And like your point, um, getting the role players to settle down, Horford and Marcus Smart in game one combined for 44 points. In game two, they combined for four points. Pretty stark difference. Kevo, what did you notice in that game two? Anything different beyond what um, Dre said? You want to agree with them? Anything else? Um. Yeah, he pretty much hit on it. I just think – as a team, I feel like they were flowing a little bit better, and they and they yeah. went away from their all, their off ball offense. Like they got more into just setting screens. You know what I'm saying? Instead of just setting them off ball screens, they got into more just pick and roll playing, just trying to dice them up that way. So I think that was probably the best adjustment. I mean, Curry, honestly, I don't think Steve Kerr gets enough credit for his adjustments in game sure. for real. But um, I thought that was the best thing that they did because, like, being honest, like I'm a Heat fan. Like watching how the Celtics played us that pass round. I knew that they were going to take some of the things playing against us against the Warriors because we kind of run not a similar offense, but kind of a lot of the same all-ball movements and things like that. So, you know, getting into pick and rolls and different things like that and letting Steph work is probably the best remedy and way they can go. And hopefully, you know, like Nick said, they can get, you know, Jordan Poole and Clay to consistently join in sometimes. Kerr's never afraid of adjustments. Obviously, the most famous example is starting Andre Iguodala at center instead of, what was it, Bogut back in the day, um, and winning finals MVP because of it. This time, there's a couple of different adjustments. The ones that I noticed were, first and foremost, and I think especially you, Dre, as Warriors fans were asking for, no Iguodala minutes and a lot of Gary Payton the second. Oh, right? thank God. <laughs> yes, thank goodness. I also... This is this is just my personal opinion. I want to see some Kaminga minutes out there, especially okay. you know with Boston just being so big. You know, having Tatum, having Brown out there, like I feel like with Kaminga's athleticism, I get it. You know, he's still young, so you know he doesn't have a lot of experience being in this type of atmosphere. Right. But I feel like if you just put him out there for at least like a good like like a good few possessions, you know, let him get his feet wet. You know, 
just 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 let him go out there and play, and then you know let's let's see what he can do. Get some more length out there. I get you there, especially to put some pressure on the ball handlers, where that's the other adjustment that comes in. Uh, Draymond, they've put him on Jalen Brown now, as opposed to the other players that they had before. Obviously. Draymond, the way he's been playing basketball forever, you'd prefer to have him on a non-shooter like Derek White, Al Horford, where he could play a little bit of free safety between the passes. Mm -hmm. But with Jalen Brown, what they realize is, one, Jalen Brown takes more than one or two dribbles. He's probably in trouble. Great driver, great finisher at the basket, but setting up his own thing without a clear driving lane, he gets himself in trouble. Obviously, I'll speak, you know, like you're, like Kevo says, he talked about this in the Heat series. I'm talking about the Bucks series. You want to put pressure on Jalen Brown, and that's why people were clamoring for Javon Carter to get minutes over George Hill because you could press him full court when Brown brought the ball up. But that's what they're doing with Draymond now, as well as Brown's a good shooter, but he's not a sniper by any means. So Dre can still slip into the paint on drives. There's like a five-minute breakdown on Nikias Duncan's Twitter right now. One specific play where Dre just blows up the entire play like he's been doing forever on a Tatum drive and where the spacing for Boston is going to need to change. Ime Udoka is a fantastic defensive coach, one of the best yeah, we have is. in the league right now. But he's going to have to figure out that spacing a little bit more in the rest of the series, especially if they're going to have Draymond on Jalen Brown. I don't know if there's much more about the series we want to cover. I mean, the game, the next game doesn't play until Wednesday. Like I said, I was joking, but there's a ton of time between these games. Didn't really feel like it was that way last year, but this year is yeah, definitely weird. more games. Yeah, like they're going like every two days now mm-hmm. for some reason. Last game was Saturday, and now we got a game on Wednesday. Um, so there's not a ton. There's going to be a lot of talking in between them, but I don't know if there's much more we can talk about on either end. So we can just do predictions at this point. Dre... It's your team, baby. How you feeling right now? I know, I know you you do it like a, I got a lot of tweets to delete if Boston wins this series in the finals. <laughs> all right, from from Doomsday Sunday a few weeks ago when when the Bucks lost, but you got a lot of tweets that you're throwing out there too. How are you feeling about this series? Do you have a prediction for the rest of it? I'm still pretty confident. Uh, just us. I mean, our experience is really going to carry the uh, carry the load. Honestly, I mean, I know I know that Boston's a really great defensive uh, or a really great defensive team and a well coached team, so they're definitely going to make it a fight. I honestly have Boston winning Game Three just because I mean that's going to be the first home game for them, and they're going to have a lot of momentum. So we're def- we'll definitely go down two one, but I feel like this re- I feel like the rest of the series the Warriors are definitely going to have to continue to make those adjustments as, as necessary in order to close out this series. But I'm still going Warriors in seven. Warriors in seven, Kevo. What are you saying? <sighs> I'm I'm gonna go Warriors in six. Um, I'm kind of nervous about that now because I feel like it. Like Nick said, I actually think this series is gonna go seven games just because of the different styles from each team. Um, I think, like I just mentioned, the, the biggest thing to me is how how much consistency can you get from Clay, Jordan Poole, and probably Andrew Wiggins or Otto Porter. I don't expect too sure. much of Wiggins because he's doing everything he can on the other end trying to stop Jason Tatum, right. but. I like I'm nervous because Pool to me when I watched it, Pool was only really getting off like in that second half when they started to take off. But like when the game mm-hmm. was like uh, when the game was close, he was kind of struggling. You know what I'm saying? So that concerned me. But I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with Warriors in six. Right. 
Yeah, pool in the lineup works really well in the pool party lineup that they've been doing, the death lineup that they've been doing all series, and it just has not worked against the Celtics so far. They need someone like Looney out there for some more yep. size, especially against these bruising Celtics. My original thing, I don't think we recorded an episode before the final started, like I said, in the middle of a bender. Don't even remember like the past week and a half. But we didn't record an episode. I know we didn't record an episode. I think if we had, I would have said Warriors in six. I might have been as 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 buff as to say Warriors and five just because I'm really biased in this whole Boston you're, thing. You're, you're a lot more confident than me and my own team. I'll tell you that much. Well, you know, it's it's the only team with real experience, like you mentioned. That's true. So I'm going to go Warriors and seven. It just feels like the Celtics are going to play every series to seven, whether they should win or not. And at that point, it's a coin flip, so it's hard to predict. But I'm here for uh, Steph Curry's first finals MVP. I am here. I am too. Oh my God, he needs it. And listen, if they don't win in seven, it's probably because Curry has a bad game, and that's going to be a bad day on Twitter for everybody. So I'm going to go ahead and say Warriors in seven. Steph is going to get finals MVP. Honestly, by the next time we record, there's probably only going to be one or two games played in the series, so they might be tied at 2 2. We will catch you then. But we are going to move on from finals. Hey y'all, just one second, like before. Oh, please do, please do. Before before we ship past the series, I want I want I want to I want to talk a little about a little bit about Clay, and I want to kind of get y'all's opinion sure, because sure. give give credit to Tatum, give credit to Brown. You know, they're definitely using their length and their size to really make these uncomfortable for Clay. But I still often feel like you know, even throughout Game Two, I feel like Clay's like kind of I guess maybe like they're kind of getting into his head and he's kind of overthinking because. I don't know. It's like this. There's just like a lot of plays where, like, you know, he's kind of making some bullheaded plays, and then it's like I don't know. I think I think his confidence is kind of shooken as well because there was many times in Game Two where he did have some open threes, and then you know he just like completely missed them. So I kind of wanted to get y'all y'all's opinion on Clay throughout like these like first few games. Like, do you think like you know it's really the Celtics really getting into his head, or do you just think you know what is it? Kevin, let me hear from you first. What do you think about that? I think it's a combination of both. Yeah. Um, I forget exactly. Y'all would know better than me. I forget exactly when Clay came back. I know it was against the Cavs. It was like what towards the middle of the season, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah middle like, January. Yeah, so he's still like realistically, he's still trying to get into the groove of things. You know, what that's I'm true. And so, like, I think a part of it, as I mentioned, like the way the Celtics guarded Max Struess is kind of similar to the way that they're guarding Clay right now, and they did a great job of shutting down Max Struess in that past series. And obviously, I'm not going to sit here and say Clay and Max Struess are the same type of player, sure. but it's still the same type of concept of what, you know, what they mean to their, you know, individual offenses. And so with that, though, I also think the Celtics, and y'all probably agree with me, the Celtics are probably easily the best defense the Warriors have seen in this entire postseason. Yeah. yeah. So, Without question. Yeah. So, like, he's got to get adjusted. Like, and just like the rest of the team, like, you could, you still see Poole still trying to get adjusted and different guys, even Steph to a certain extent. Obviously, Steph is Steph, so it's different, but, like, they play with a different type of physicality, you know what I'm saying? And they're allowed mm-hmm. to get away with it. And so, like, it's a huge adjustment because you go from, you know, playing the Nuggets, you know, they're not a serious defensive team. Playing the Grizzlies, they're cool, but they're still immature. Right. Playing the, the Dallas, you know, they were good, but they're still trying to take steps in the right direction. Now you have mm-hmm. a team that's set and firm. It's been playing together for a minute now, their core at least. And so I, I just think – I'm not too worried about Clay. I kind of am because they kind of need either him or Poole to step up and consistently help Curry on the offensive end. But I just think he just got to get into the groove. I said on my podcast earlier today, like, he's got to fall in love with that one dribble pull-up because when he's coming off the screen, they know he wants to shoot the three. But if you can just take that mm-hmm. one dribble in, I think he's straight. So, I I don't know. I think it bounces. I think the deeper they get into this, you know, um, serious, the better he'll be. Since Clay's come back middle of January, like you said, Dre, 
He's trying to – it looks like he's trying to get a shot off anytime he gets the ball, you know, which is going to work. I mean, he's too good of a player for not to deliver. We saw that in two different series. We got game six Clay and game five Clay so far in the playoffs. Um, he's had those big games. But still, he is trying to shoot it every time he touches the ball. And if you got a smart defensive team, they're going to play you like that. Uh, like you said, you take that dribble into the paint. If they're not expecting that because you shoot it every time, they're closing out hard. So if you can take the you know pump fake it, get into the paint, break down the defense a little bit more. Honestly, though, it's not even just that Clay came in a medal January, but the dude hasn't had like an actual off season in three years. Yep. He needs a full off season. That's true. To get back in the lab, get his legs under him. Honestly, it's a miracle he's playing as well as he is and as as many minutes as he is at this point. Um, I don't think it comes down to to Clay. Honestly, I think if Clay has a big game, the Warriors are in for a win. But I don't think they're guaranteed a loss when he plays poorly. Obviously, with the past two games, they're one and one, and he hasn't played particularly well in either of them. Um, but a little bit more tenacity. I think you're right. You can get stagnant. Pool is still learning, so you can give him a little bit of a pass because Pool does the same thing where he looks to shoot every single time and times like the other night. It works for him. But he's still young. He's figuring that out. He's also trying to get a big contract. We can talk about that at some yep. point in the future uh, pods. But Clay, Clay's older. He needs to figure out that he can put the ball on the floor, take it down. I mean, it was game the first game he came back and he put it on the floor and dunked it over a guy, you know? Mm-hmm. He's, he clearly can make that decision. But for whatever reason, he as soon as he finds a pocket of space, he wants to do it. And that's definitely credit to the Celtics' defense. Like you said, best defense, I said, I think that if they saw Miami, Boston, or Milwaukee in the finals, it still would have been the best defense any of them had seen, even though Dallas's defense was really solid. I don't have the individual talents like a like a like a Al Horford, Marcus Smart, Grant Williams type. So I don't think it. I I think I think it's a combination of things. Like we're all agreeing, but I also don't think it matters. Like the Warriors are just talented enough. Where I mean, Otto Porter had six threes in Game One, and they they lost, but someone's going to hit the shots. So that's true. As long as Clay's not a defensive liability, and he hasn't necessarily been in the playoffs, he hasn't been locked down, but you don't see him turn into a turnstile all that often, I think it's going to be fine. Dre, you're the Warriors guy. You're the Finals guy. I'm sure you're watching them more intently than I am. Anything else on this series before you want to move on to some draft talk? I think we kind of hit the head on everything. You know, Steph's playing well. Uh, we definitely need more Clay and more pool. Yep. And I, I, I am honestly really inter- interested to see, like, you know, what the other guys are giving us. I mean, obviously, you know, Wiggins is having to carry a lot of the load on the defense and then having to uh, having to defend Tatum and Brown. So, you know, even though he has given us a little bit of offense, you know, like he's like his his job has been primarily to really like, you know, def- defend those two guys. But I'm definitely interested to like, you know, see how guys like Otto, can Otto Porter continue to uh, contain this hot shooting. Can guys like Bielisa come in and, you know, provide a yeah. spark off the bench, which he he did he did to a degree in the game, too, and I'm definitely happy about that. So it's really about, like, you know, the rest of the uh, other other supporting cast as well, because in my opinion, I just I'm just I'm not going to I'm not going to just sit here and imagine Derek White, Al Hover, and the rest of these guys that have another bad game moving forward in the series. So right. we're definitely going to need more production out of the uh, out of the role players as well from the Warriors. Yeah, Bielitsa had like a, a, um, a chase down block the other night. I've never seen him do that shit in my life before. But they've got him wow. fighting hard, man. Finals minutes. Finals minutes yep. for Bielitsa. Let's move on to the draft. Um, we've talked about it briefly. We've had a, we had a discussion about the lottery and I think a couple other times on the podcast. I'm, I'll mention this every single time. I'm a guy that likes to have qualifiers in his conversations. You guys know 
if you're listening, Dre, you know that I don't watch college basketball. I watch March Madness every year, but I do not watch regular. I don't watch Euro. I don't watch any basketball at the NBA. It's just how I've been for the whole life. So as much as I'm going to have my opinions on these guys, I have not watched them for the entire season. Most of my knowledge is coming from the articles and video essays that I'm watching. But that being said, I've got a list here of four guards. We're going to discuss guards in this draft. Um, and if there's more on your guys' table that you want to talk about, please do. Let's start with the obvious one, though. We're not sure what the order of the picks in the NBA draft will be. We know that the top three is a bunch of big dudes in Paolo Chet and Jabari Smith Jr. And we're not sure if they're going to be the first three, but we do know who the first guard off the board will be, whether it's at two, three, four, rumored five. It's going to be Jaden Ivey. Um, guard Purdue. From what I've seen, what I've read, people are comparing him a lot to uh, Victor Oladipo and Donovan Mitchell. Dre, I want to start with you. I'm sure you've taken a look at Jaden. Um, oh, yeah, without question. How are you feeling about him? Do those comparisons make sense to you? Are you seeing anyone else that might fit better? Now that I'm thinking about it, because um, I'll be real, like, um, you know, when I first originally like originally watched him, because I'll be honest, I didn't really watch a lot of his uh, freshman year, but um, I definitely got a chance to watch him throughout his sophomore season. Mm-hmm. Kind of gave me John Morant vibes, but, you know, I know a lot of people had, like, disagree with that at times. I, I can kind of see the Oladipo comparison, if you want to say, but the one thing that I will say is that even as I, um, even throughout this weekend, I actually went back to watch some of his, uh, some of his freshman uh, film. He's definitely a much different player compared to um, compared to what he was just last year. Um, you know, definitely a better, um, definitely a better player on the attack. Definitely a better uh, playmaker per se. So he's definitely he definitely has all the tools to be a great you know leader in my opinion in the um, in the NBA. Where like honestly like where, wherever he falls to. So you know honestly I, I mean the one thing I'll say is that you know I mean is that you know the, the sky's the limit for uh, for Jada Ivy. I mean he definitely he can definitely become a better shooter. You know and, and that'll definitely come over time, but. All the other attributes that he brings to the table is just, you know, it's just really, really impressive to say the least. Kevin, do you agree with his statements? Anything else that you want to add on there? Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I'm a Michigan State fan, so Purdue is like our rival. So, like, I watched a lot of Jaden Ivey, and you know, Nick hit it on the head. To me, the John Morant comparisons are are fair. You know, he's super uber athletic. You know, he, I think he needs to get better when it comes to using his left hand more because you can tell he's a little bit more right-handed or right-handed mm-hmm. dominant. But, like, sometimes I look at that, I just like, I mean, if they can't stop it, why switch up? You know what I'm saying? But usually I would like to see him go, go left a little bit more. Sometimes he has a tendency to settle, but I think that would be fine. And I just think the biggest thing with him and the biggest difference between the Cos game and the NBA is that he's going to have way more space to operate with. So you're going to see his athleticism just take off to new heights. And I think that's going to be the best part to watch about his game. I, I honestly like him. Um, I don't like Purdue because they don't ever get talented players like him. But, you know, they enjoyed him for two years. And like Nick said, the, the leap that he took, and that's another thing too, like the leap that he took from his freshman year to his sophomore year is phenomenal. And like I, I wish a lot of dudes understand, like staying in college is not a bad thing because most of the lottery picks this year are going to be dudes that were in college for more than one season. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Jay Ivey is definitely the goods, and a lot of people should be excited to watch him play and how his game translates. He's got this, like, alpha athleticism. He's going to take over some games. That's definitely where the John Moran stuff comes in. You guys mentioned the leap that he made from freshman year to second year. It wasn't just numbers. Uh, a lot of dudes get a lot more opportunity their second year in college. They'll put up more points. He had six more points per game, added a couple of assists to his, to his totals. But 
with that added opportunity, he's also improving his numbers shooting-wise. He had 6% on his field goal percentage to respectable 46%. You probably want that a little bit higher in the NBA. But the real big jump is on the same amounts, a little bit more amounts than last year, five uh, attempts a game. Last year, 25% from three, which obviously you guys know is pretty bad. 35.8%, basically 36% this year on five attempts a game. Is he a sniper? No. Is he going to turn into a sniper? I don't necessarily see it. But again, the John Morant comp comes in where he needs to develop that shot, and he's already taken steps for it. I'm pretty excited about him just just because the top three, at least in everyone's minds, are these big guys, these forwards. You know, you don't know how to compare them to Jaden Ivey because he's a completely different player to those guys. He could end up being the second, third, fucking first best player of this of this draft. You have no idea. Dre, Kevin, are there any um, destinations within the range that he's going to be picked that you really would prefer for Ivy? Obviously, it looks like it might be four to the Kings. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because um, yeah. on, on um, NBADraft.net, they do have him in the in their mock draft as number four going to uh, Sacramento. How do y'all feel about that? Um, about that? My personal opinion is that the Kings should trade uh, both Sabonis and Fox and start over and try and tank for Wimbanyama. So if you want to take Ivy as mm-hmm. your guard of the future, sure. But I don't really. I think I Ivy think, can. I, yeah. Honestly, like I could say, I think Ivy can be their guy for the future. Like yeah. I don't know, like you know, because I mean, we we all we all know that that the Kings front office is shit. But if you have a guy like Jaden Ivy, you know, I feel like he can at least help them like become a playing contender. Kevin, how do you feel? Any any teams you want to see him on? Um, honestly, I wouldn't mind him in Portland. I think they have what the seventh pick, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, seventh um, pick, you're right. Um, I wouldn't mind that. Detroit is another interesting one too. Him playing next to Cade, I think is Cade. a good fit for him. Yeah. Um, obviously he got to develop his jumper playing next to Cade. Sure. But I think I like that fit more than I like Cade next to Killian Hayes. With all due respect to him. Yes. So. Yeah, I was gonna say was with Killian. I'm not a, I'm not a massive believer. I still think he's gonna be like a solid NBA player, but mm-hmm. they really gave him and Cade the keys this year to make it seem like they were the one A, one B, and it didn't really work out that way. Portland's interesting because there's rumors of them going after Bradley Beal and Zach Levine yep. in free agency. You just got rid of a guy in CJ McCollum that was redundant next to Damian Lillard because he's got the same shot profile, uh, same type of game. And you're going to go after another one. Doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But if you bring in a guy like Jaden Ivey, you can bring in like a not only an exactly Drew Holiday, but a Drew Holiday type player next to Damian to give him some break in the backcourt. Would really like to see that. Indiana's at six. That'd be cool. New Orleans at eight. You know, replacement for Drew and Lonzo from years past. But Ivy is going to be the first guard off the board if you want to make a bet on that. This isn't financial advice. I think everyone and their mom knows that if a guard comes off the board in the NBA draft 2022 and it's the first one, it is going to be Jaden Ivy. Beyond that, though, I mean, beyond even like pick four or five, no one really knows what the order is. So I've got some guard slash forwards here that I really like. We can go a little bit of box. I didn't go to UW Mass. I don't really give a shit about it anyways. But Johnny Davis, guard forward, um, 6'5". Looks like a really, really uh, solidified player. I don't know how high his ceiling is, but his floor is some of the is already higher than a lot of players in this top 10. Um, gives me a little bit of KCP vibes when he came out of mm-hmm. college. Mid-range shot, good defense on the perimeter. The three-point shot needs a little bit of work, but the work ethic seems like it's going to work there. I don't know if he's going to be the next guard off the table after Ivy. It's just the next one that I have on the list here. But let's talk about Johnny Davis, who 
Uh, and for me, is becoming one of my favorite players in this top 10 for someone that you can make an immediate contribution to a team. Dre, how do you feel? I'll let Kevin go first because I'm, I'm I'm sure that he knows way more about Johnny Davis than I do. Honestly, I didn't. I'm not. I'm not gonna say I watched like a lot of him. So it's like you know, there's a lot that I'm still trying to figure out about him. Sure. Yeah. So another Big Ten guy. Um, right. The thing with Johnny Davis is just as interesting as Jay Nive is that he stayed for a second year in college. Like, I mean, like obviously, I mean, he wasn't going to be in the NBA after his freshman year, but like him just putting on that weight. And like honestly, like watching them last year, I I would have never guessed he would turn into the player that he is currently right now. Um, and gonna be a lottery pick. But like the best thing about him to me is that he's like the prototypical shooting guard, kind of like you said, like he doesn't waste movements, he doesn't waste dribbles, he's pretty good playing off the ball, even though Wisconsin essentially asked him to do everything this year. Right. Um, he was really he was really good and he made the most of what you're supposed to do. Um, really good shot selection. Sometimes he has a tendency to kind of like get zoned out, like when when he when the ball is not going through the hoop. But for the most part, like he does everything that you you can ask out of him. And I'm again excited to see him at the NBA because Wisconsin, I feel like they they put everything on him to carry their offense. So it's kind of hard to really judge his tape. But I think going into the league, he's another guy that should be smooth. I think he'll honestly get minutes right off the gate, depending on the situation, of course. But right. he's good enough to get minutes as soon as he gets to the league. So according to uh, according to uh, NBA Draft.net, they have him at nine going to San Antonio. How do you feel about that? Especially a team that's like kind of guard heavy. They got Dejounte. They got guys yeah. like Trey Jones. Yeah, I've heard got a lot of San Antonio. Players. Yeah, I've heard a lot of San Antonio. I think he fits there. I mean, they like dudes that are going to work hard, and I think he brings shooting to that team. I mean, we want to talk about guys that jumped. His three point percentage has been solid. Um, put up twenty. You said they're a smaller team, guys 6'5", and he averaged eight rebounds in college. That's not, you know, he's boarding over his. I think it's a fine fit, but there's other teams in that range that I'd like to see. Kevin, how do you feel about that San Antonio fit? Yeah, like Nick said, they're, they're just super guard heavy. You know, you didn't even mention what Devin Vassell, John mm-hmm. Remo, Trey Jones, like Lonnie Walker. Yeah, like the last thing they need is another guard. Lonnie think- Walker got to go. I'm sorry. I <laughs> think so. Oh no, man! <laughs> no, nah, I feel that. But I mean, I think probably in that area, I think probably the best option is probably Washington, the Wizards, because they can yeah. really do anything right I now. Like that. Like, I think they just need they they at this point they just need the best player available when, you right. know, when that happens. But I think that's a good fit for them because they could use as much scoring as possible. Yeah, they definitely need to go guard Washington at 10. They've been looking for a point guard since John Wall left town, and they had Russ for a second. That worked, but between Sadoransky and uh, yes, Spencer man. Dinwiddie, didn't really work mm-hmm. out. Is uh, Johnny Davis the point guard that you're looking for, the floor general? Probably not, but if you're drafting guys like Rui Hachimura and Danny Avdia over the years, looking for a guy that can hit a fucking three and play defense – Johnny Davis is that guy. And I'd be, yeah, I'd be really interested in seeing him take it. Um, I really like the, the, I actually kind of like the team that they've got over there. They need a point guard, like a starting and backup point guard. But I do like Mm kind of what's shaping up over there, depending on what they do in free agency. Um, Some other teams here, I think New Orleans could plug and play him. Him and Herb Jones next to each other seems really tasty to me. Uh, Another guy that can play defense in there. I think he might be a little bit low ceiling for Portland. They may as well trade the pick at that point. Then you go a little bit further. I'm sure New York could use him as well. There's Johnny Davis. I'm not sure where he's going to go, but it's probably going to be in the top 10. If I had to give a guess on that, 
Um, let's go next to. I always love talking. Hang about on one second. I got. I got yeah. one guy that I want to talk about real quick. Um, yeah. This is probably my second favorite player, or my second favorite guard behind uh, Jaden Ivy in college, and that's Ty Ty Washington. Is who is like yeah. probably like one of my favorite like you know shot creators and everything. If you want to name, um, had a decent year and um, had a decent year at uh, Kentucky, averaging twelve and a half points, a forty five percent shooting. Um, how do you how do you feel about this? How, how do you feel about this game, Kevin? Because I know I know that he has like a nice floater. I know he has a nice um, touch around the mid range. Like, how do you feel about this game? Yeah, Ty Ty's another interesting one because I mean, most of the season he was hurt, but when he was mm-hmm. healthy, he was super productive. And like you said, his floater game is elite. He plays with excellent poise and patience. He's really good at getting into the paint and, and finding others and making decisions out of that. Um, I think he can be a little bit more disciplined defensively. I think sometimes he has a tendency to, like, gamble or just be lazy in general. And we all know defense is mostly just effort. So, mm-hmm. I think with the right coach, he can, he'll can he figure that out. But I like Ty Ty's game. I think, you know, most of the Kentucky guys I know, because I know a lot of them, they all said that Calipari didn't really utilize him right. So, mm-hmm. I think people should also take that with a grain of salt when it comes to evaluating his game. Um, but I think his game translates really, really well because he's also he has an excellent change of pace. You know, you, he never gets slowed down. He never gets sped up. Like, he just he, he's what you want out of a, out of a point guard. So I think he he's he's gonna be really good. Right. Do you think that he should possibly um, grow more as like more of a playmaker type? Because I think he did average around like three and a half assists. And you know, just just watching Kentucky this year, you know, like like he was he was more so like of the scoring type. Do you think that he should add a little bit of playmaker to his game as well, being the floor general? Yeah, hundred percent. And again, like with that Kentucky team was kind of weird because their point guard was like a non-shooter, and so, like, Ty mm-hmm. Ty was just forced into a weird position. Their best player was a post player, so, like, he was he, he was just trying to find his way in, you know what I'm saying? But right. I think you're 100% right. Like, once he gets that, he's going to, like, take – he's going to go to an entirely different level, you know what I'm saying? Because the scoring is there. You know, he's a, a good playmaker, but I definitely think, like you're saying, he can, he can turn into an elite playmaker with the spacing that the NBA offers. And so I just think it comes with time, reps, and just getting used to the NBA game, and that will all come along for him just fine. Who do you guys see uh, as potential comps for Ty Ty Washington? From what I've read and what I've looked into, I think a solid comp is Mike Conley, but I'm wondering what you guys think. This oh, might man. sound a little weird, and I, I don't know why. Like, I, I don't, I don't really feel like the two really play similar, but maybe it's just the size. But I can see a little bit of Trey Young in this game to a degree. Hmm. I don't know why, but like that's like that's a name that sure. just comes up for me. Man, I'm trying to think. Um, man, because he he's kind of a tough one. I think the I think the best comparison for Ty Ty is probably I don't want to say that. I don't know. That's a good one. I haven't really thought about that to be honest. Like, because he's so like, yeah, he's just like a a weird one. Because like he can play on or off the ball. Mm-hmm. Like. I wouldn't just label him a point guard. Like I think he he translates well into a point guard, but I think you can play him off the ball just as much as on the ball too. Um, kind of like a like a Tyrese Maxey Bones Highland type of player. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I actually like that one. I, li- I like Tyrese Maxey actually. Yeah, I yeah. like that. Um, I don't know. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think he's gonna end up being that good because I'm I'm super high on Tyrese Maxey. I've always been high on Tyrese Maxey, but he, he they definitely have a lot of similar characteristics for sure. And any teams that you guys are looking to get him? So we've got a scoring guard, um, not undersized, but certainly not a dominant uh, physicality player. And there's a lot of teams, like, is this a team that are a player that Washington targets at 10, or do you guys see him falling? Like, Dre, what do you got there for that mock draft? Where is he ending up? <laughs> they got him with the Knicks. 
Yeah. Are they at an exit 11? Yeah. Uh, I, 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 probably, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't know about that quickly, one. Man. I just probably just play quickly. Just please qu- give quickly some minutes, bro. He needs some minutes because I don't know if you take a guy like that. I could see, like, who's in that range. I mean, if Cleveland wants another ball handler and score, I could see that. I don't think Charlotte takes him with any of their picks. I don't see Atlanta. He might fall in this draft, man. What if he Houston falls to – uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say because Houston has number 17. I mean, you got Jalen, you got KPJ, you got Dacian Nix off the bench, you got Josh Christopher off the bench. I mean, maybe they draft them. They yeah. know better than I do. Obviously, I'm not a they, general manager. They also have uh, Chicago at 18, but I don't, I don't know if he really gets minutes in Chicago, especially you know with a guy like Lonzo, and then on top of that, they have a guy like Io Desumu, you know, backing him up as well. So I don't know Big if he's going to get minutes like that. Big fan of Io, but we don't know about Lonzo. Rumor is he might not yeah. make it to the start of the season, which really fucking sucks because I am a huge Lonzo fan. I think he's a great Same. player and a great fit Same for the Chicago team. And if they are worried about that, maybe they go with someone like Ty Ty. But Minnesota, I could see at 19 if they end up trying to trade D'Angelo Russell, San Antonio. I think he's going to drop, man. I think Ty yeah. is going to drop. Yeah, I, I hate to say that, too. I just think – I mean, another thing, too, like to me, like – I feel like the NBA draft, like, to, I, I think evolution is a real thing. And I feel like the NBA draft is getting more and more talented every single year. Like, I yeah. think there's going to be a lot of dudes that fall to the second round that are, like, in five years, we're going to say, like, this dude clearly should have been selected in the first round. You know what I'm saying? Or, like, it might be someone undrafted. Like, the Heat find all these undrafted dudes. Like, right. I think it's going to yeah. be a lot more of those dudes that just pop up and people are going to be surprised. But in all reality, you shouldn't because every year, you know, we're just getting more and more talented players. I mean, in the last second round alone, we've had – Two guys that would have gone the first in Iota Sumo and Herb Jones. I mean, Herb Jones is exactly. probably going to end up being a lottery pick in the redrafts when you take a look at it. Oh, yeah, yeah, without question. Easily. Uh, so here's the next guy that I've got. Um, and I'm a fan of this dude from what I've seen. I also just have a bias for G League Ignite, guys. I just think it's a perfect program. If you're a young player trying to get some experience, <clears throat> you get a good education from former players, and you're playing against grown men the entirety of the time there. Obviously, we saw it last year. We've got several guys that are already – I mean, we got a guy playing minutes in the finals right now who was on the Ignite last year with Jonathan Kuminga. And obviously, Jalen Green, who was uh, after a rough – you know, first half of the season turned out to look like a top three pick, like everyone thought. Yep. Dyson Daniels, man. And a lot of these guys are guard forwards, but he's listed at six, seven, strictly a forward. Defensive chops, um, from what I've seen, I'm, I think, uh, I think um, Derek White playing in the finals right now is a good comp there. I think I had one more, I think I wrote it down. Evan Turner, not as the most not the most exciting comparison, but a little bit of that. Big, defensive-minded, really good defensively, and can play make. He's a guard out of the Australian League, and then went to the G League Ignite. And if they come out of the Australian League, like Josh Giddy and Lamella Ball, odds are they can sling that thing around. And I think the same thing with Dyson Daniels. I think he's going to get picked up earlier than people think, just because of those defensive chops and the playmaking mm-hmm. around that. Like this is. A, before we talk about the player, this is a perfect Washington pick, I think, to yep. put next to Bradley Beal. How do you guys feel about Dice, and what have you guys seen out of him this year? I'll let uh, Kiwo go first. Um, I think this is the this is the perfect pick for the Knicks right here. Um, oh, yeah. I think if you're a Knicks fan, this is the duel you should be locked on. Hopefully they get him. Um, you know, I, I don't got nothing against Knicks fans, so I, I hope that they can get him. Um, but like you said, I think my comp to him, this going to sound kind of weird, but to me he's like more of a – athletic version of Kyle Anderson. Um, okay. 
Hell I'm actually not mad at that. Hell of a playmaker. Um, obviously, clearly more athletic. Slow mo is not dunking on people like that. He has some bodies, but not like that. But you know, Dyson Daniels definitely gonna have a couple bodies. Um, not really focused on scoring like that. I think that's a huge thing. Is that you don't like you know obviously scoring is at a premium right now. Like that's the most important thing or skill you could have nowadays. Obviously, but like he truly cares about getting others involved, getting others into their spots, getting others good looks. And I think that's going to translate well because he can score too, but you can just see he is, he's very unselfish and you rarely see him force the issue like that unless he absolutely has to. And I think your point about the G League too that I love is that I don't know why, but they do it with, they've done it with Jalen Green and Jaden Hardy this year. But like these dudes that come from the States that go to the G League, like they kind of just forget about them and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden pop back up during the draft. And I'm just like, I don't know why y'all do this. Like, I don't know if we're gonna get into Jaden Hardy, but people need to stop sleeping on him too, because right. that dude's the truth. Like, he's, oh yeah, he's without good. without a without a question, he is. Yeah, and I don't know why people last year was questioning Jalen Green. Like, Jalen Green is the goods. If he would have played in college basketball, like, you could have made an argument that he could have went number one. You know, with yeah. him between him or K. So, but getting back to Dyson, like again, prototypical point guard. He's what everything you want out of a point guard. And again, I think this is the this is the Knicks pick right here. Knicks fans, y'all should be hoping and praying for Dyson Daniels because this is the dude for y'all. And he might go a pick early to Washington because he's perfect for them too. Dre, any other teams you can think of that uh, you'd like to see Dyson on? Well, they got him um, with NBA Draft on there. They have him going to Cleveland at fourteen. Hmm. Uh, if he falls that far, Washington and New York fucked up, but Cleveland would be very happy to have uh, yeah, Dyson Daniels. Sure. Another playmaker like they've been looking for in a That's a nice backup point guard right there. I think they start him. Yeah. I, I don't think start him, start start him next, to gar- uh, next to Garland? Yeah, yeah, man. Mm-hmm. Give, give him a big-ass wing defender right next to him. I mean, they do it with a Coro already. They do it with yep. um, those types of dudes. That I think they would do it. That They'd be super happy. Um, I But I, I, I think Kevin and I both uh, think that he's going to be gone 10 or 11, at least hopefully for those fans, because they need a guy like that. And you guys were just talking about another guards. Why the hell won't we go to the truth, man? Jaden Hardy. And you guys talking about him glowingly. Please let me hear about it. What do you you guys see from his game? What kind of player is he? The thing about Hardy that really makes me excited is that I don't know what it is, but he just kind of plays like without, without a filter and without fears. Like, you know, he's able to get to his spots, able to get to his spots whenever he wants to. Just really able to take control of the game and really dictate the pace. So it's like, I don't know if I actually have like a player come. I actually not. I actually haven't really thought about that. But he's like, if you if you watch the G League um, ignite this season, like he's shown that he's an elite scorer. So I feel like you know, obviously you know having that having that G League background on him, like you know going into the NBA, I feel like he's going to be able to adjust to the um, to that play style just fine. So he he honestly might be a sleeper in this draft if you think about it. It's crazy. It's really insane to me because like. Watching him coming out of high school because he's originally from Detroit, played his high school basketball in Las Vegas. Um, a lot of people thought he was going to end up at probably Kentucky, but of course he, you know, ended up choosing the G League. But like this dude right here is the truth, and I'm tired of people like sleeping on him and not paying attention to him just because he played in the G League. But like, like Nick kind of said, like he is an effortless scorer. Like as soon as he passes half court, you have to pick him up because he can pull and make that shot. You know what I'm saying? And he can score from anywhere. Um, he's one of those guys where it's like. He doesn't show too much emotion either. And I think that's like one of my things. Like, well, guys like that that don't show emotion, it's either one of two things. You're either a killer or you're just, you don't really care that much, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. he's a killer. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, this dude is insane. He's 6'5. Um, I've been seeing a lot of Bradley Bill comparisons. I'm not mad at that. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm very high on Brad Bill, obviously, but I can definitely see that. Um, he definitely has that type of scoring prowess. And literally, like, 
he's just tough. Like, like you can either play him at the point guard or the shooting guard, and he's going to thrive because his scoring ability, you have to honor and respect it. And then not only that, again, with the spacing, he can he's just able to drop dimes whenever. So, like, that dude, man, I promise you, I don't know where he's going to end up, but he, in all honesty, he should be, like, a top six, top five pick, in my opinion. Right. And, and not and, then, and like also not to mention, honestly, like, you know, just watching a few of a few of the um Ignite games this year, like he's he's shown that he's not afraid of the moment. I think he had a few game winners this past year as well. So he's shown mm-hmm. that, you know, like in those in, in those crunch time situations that you know he's he's able to uh, be there for the moment. Yep. A lot of these scoring guards slip in the draft, and I'm a little obsessed with them because um as a Bucks fan, I always have an obsession of those yeah. quick bucket getters. We saw with Cam Thomas last year. Cam yep. Thomas, Jordan Poole, I mentioned Tyrese Maxey, Desmond Bain is in that list as well. Bones Highland, I'm a huge fan of Bones Highland over in Denver now. Those guys are out there, and a lot of them end up being steals, and it looks like James is going to be set up as that. Like you said, before the season was projected as a top eight, top five pick, and he slipped that due to a somewhat disappointing series season with the G League Ignite, but... Right now, I see him at 15 on a lot of mock drafts that I'm looking at, which is Charlotte. Um, I guess that makes sense if you want to have just more scores. At some point, you probably have to choose between him and Terry Rozier or Miles Bridges, which if you can get stuff for those players, that's not the reason you don't make this pick. Um, I could see OKC looking at him at 12, although they might go for more of a defensive forward. Cleveland, again, they're going to be looking for scores on the wing. If they can get it, they're going to do that. Chicago, if they lose Zach Levine, stuff like that. Any teams in that 15 to 20 range that you guys see that you could see? I mean, obviously, you guys are fans of Harden. Wherever he's going to go, as long as he gets minutes, he'll show up. But are there perfect destinations in your mind for him? I think you hit on two of them. Um, Cleveland and Charlotte, man. Like, yeah. just because in both those situations, like, they, those, both those teams have up-and-coming star point guards. You can take the ball out of their hands sometimes so they don't have to carry the entire scoring load. Like, Darius Garland – had a phenomenal season this past season. Right. He's he's a stud, you know what I'm saying? He's a dog. And LaMelo, same thing, you know what I'm saying? I think getting a guy like Jaden Hardy, like I was high on James Booknight last year. Um, I think he's a good dude to have off the bench, but yeah. I'd, 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 I ain't going to lie, I'd much prefer starting Jaden Hardy, like, because he's sure. – and, you know, of course Charlotte's still in the look, search for a coach right now, but, um, yeah, to me, both those are a great options between Cleveland and uh, Charlotte. I love both those options, in my opinion. Dre, any perfect destinations for you for Jaden Hardy? Not not that I can think of from my perspective, but they do have him uh, with San Antonio at 25. Which wow. I kind of like that, too, to, to a degree. But like I said, yeah. I mean, San Antonio is still very much guard heavy, too, so. They really are. I, I I think about Primo a lot. I think Primo is going to become some form. They got a lot of hope for them. They're usually, mm-hmm. they're usually right in San Antonio about yep. that stuff. Him um, and uh, Trey Jones. Crazy. Yeah, exactly. I love Trey. Yep. Um, that's the guards that I had listed down. There's some more fringe guys. Anyone else that you guys wanted to specifically cover in this conversation? Yeah, so I actually have one guy, and I know that um, – Kev is going to be, you know, really, uh, really excited to talk about this guy because I'm, I'm actually a fan of this guy. Um, I don't think people really got a chance to really see like what he could do. He's a, a Michigan State guy. It's Max Christie, honestly. I, I feel like he's like, I feel like he's a really, a really talented scorer, honestly. I mean, I know, I know it doesn't show in the numbers. I mean, he only averaged around nine, nine and a half a game. But whenever he had the ball in his hands, you know, just being able to be a great spot up shooter, being able to create his own shot. So you know, just, just, just being, just being a fan of the Spartans, like you know, like how excited were you about uh, Christie this year? Man, I had so I had super high hopes because I mean the year the year prior, you know, we had COVID, 
kind of mess up the season for everybody, not just us, but like it was it was just a down year for Michigan State standards. And to get a guy like Max Christie, who for majority of his recruitment, a lot of people thought he was gonna end up at Duke. And I was so glad when he announced that he was committed to Michigan State because we're so used to losing most of our recruits to Duke. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so to get him, it was fun. But honestly, like I don't like how people are trying to portray like he had a terrible season because right. like, from my perspective, like I, I feel like we kind of put him in an unfair situation because Coach Izzo asked him to be, as a true freshman, to be our leading scorer on a team that had a lot of different veterans and a team that didn't really have an identity. And mm-hmm. the biggest issue was that it's two things with Max. I think he's going to be a, a really good NBA player. And I think, honestly, like you said, I think he's going to end up being drafted later than he should be. Mm-hmm. But it's two things that, that kind of concern me. And the first thing was that his shot selection um, – was kind of iffy because his favorite shot is that mid-range pull-up. And to me, I think that's one of the toughest mm-hmm. game, or that's one of the toughest shots in the game. But once you master it, you essentially become unguardable. And I think he mastered it in high school, but it didn't translate that great to the college level. And so I think in the NBA with a little bit more spacing, hopefully he shoots more threes because that's what I wanted to see him do this year was put up threes way more than he did. Um, and I think the second thing was confidence, man. Like when you're at this stage, you know, when you're, when you're starting, like, to me, he had the biggest leash Coach Izzo has ever given a freshman in my lifetime, like, longer than Miles Bridges, longer than Jaron Jackson's, like, and that's saying something. And so, like, every time he would miss a shot or every time he would get scored on, you would automatically just see his shoulders shrug. And I thought that was an issue. Like, dude, like, you're here for a reason. You know what I'm saying? Like, this team believes in you for a reason. This team is running through you for a reason. And so I think if you can just get that confidence up and just get a little bit stronger, like every draft prospect needs to, and just continue to put up shots, man. Max Christie is going to be a player, I promise you. What happened this year at Michigan State, it is what it is. I don't knock him. A lot of Michigan State fans kind of, like, hate him now because he's leaving. They want him to come back for a second year. I'm just like, he's good enough to play in the NBA right now, man. He just, has to, he just has to put it all together. And I, I really think if he gets to the right situation and he gets someone in his ear to kind of just help him boost up his confidence, he's going to be a hell of a player. And I don't – I'm not – I'm not – I'm standing on that take, put it like that. No, I, I agree 100% honestly. I mean, like, just, you know what I'm saying? Like, just, just watching him throughout this year and even just, you know, watching the film, like, he, he clearly has the tools to be, like, an elite scorer. Just, I mean, that's obviously, you know, like you said, I mean, he was he was just put in, like, you know, in a real difficult position. So, depending on where he goes in the NBA, I feel like I feel like he could be a great, you know, a great scorer for that second unit, if you want to say, and just being able to, you know, prov- provide a spark on offense. So, I do agree with you though. Like, I just don't feel like you know people should be like you know too hard on him. You know, saying like you know, I know, I know, I know his numbers were really low to say the least. It wasn't up to his standards, but to me, he still shows be a really good scorer. And the best thing about him too is that even though, even though, like I said, his confidence was kind of up and down, and I said he wasn't making his shots, he didn't let that deter him from being a good defender because he was a really good defender as a freshman. That's usually not the case. Usually, freshmen always have issues guarding, especially like off the ball. That wasn't right. the case at all. And he's a hell of a playmaker, too. So, like, I think, once, again, once he builds up that confidence, man, Max Christie is going to be a player. People kind of down on him now, but they'll be back soon. The comps that I see, quick Google uh, search, are guys like Landry Shamit or Evan Fournier. And that might seem like a little bit um, underselling it. But if either of those guys land in the right franchise right away, specifically Evan Fournier, I think if he ends up in the right franchise, not Orlando right away, a lot more development comes out of there. Right now they've got Christie at 21 to Denver, which if you want open shots, Denver's one of the best places you can go to for that. In that range, you've got San Antonio, Memphis, Philly, Milwaukee, San Antonio again, Dallas, 
all those Miami, all those guys are fantastic organizations. Hopefully they can give. You want to know what's so crazy though? Like, like it's, it, it might be a weird comp, but I kind of see a little bit of like a Zaire Williams type. I, I don't I like know if y'all would like yeah. agree with that. Yeah. I like that. I was high on Zaire Williams too. I've been high on Zaire yeah. Williams. Um, I actually went to high school in the city that he's from. Um, he like, I'm, I'm super high on that dude. A lot of people slept on him last year because of things that weren't in his control, kind of like Max right. Christie, but Right. He showed this year that he's he's definitely a rotational player. He's going to be a big part of Memphis in the future, too. So, The Memphis people I follow on Twitter are very high on Jair Williams, and I'm really interested to see where it is because he was basically nothing like going into the league. Like He had size, he had length, but we weren't really sure what he was going to do on the court, and he started mm-hmm. doing a lot of it. Dude was playing legit playoff minutes in, the, in this year and doing like not terribly. So we're going to see – where that development comes from. I think that wraps up the guard talk. Dre, Kevin, anyone else that you came in to prepare to talk about? Yeah, the, the one I, I want to hit you guys with, and yeah. I'm, I'm just as high on him as I am Jaden Hardy. Like, I think if it's anybody that I have to put my money on to become an NBA all-star down the line, like within like the next decade or whatever, it would be Benedict Matherin from Arizona. Okay, okay, okay. Um, That's a fact. That's a fact. I love his game. Um, Like, he's one of those dudes where it's just like, I don't really pay attention too much to the stats, even though the stats do tell the story. Like when you watch him, he just looks like an NBA player. You know what I'm saying? Like he just pops out. Like, like his shot selection is great. He's never rushed. He's never sped up. He's super athletic. He had a big time dunk in the NCAA tournament against TCU that went viral. Um, already built. Um, I think this is perfect player for Portland to get. Again, if they don't trade the pick, I think he'd be perfect next to Dame just because of his strength. Um, again, can play on or off the ball. His handle is tight enough doesn't waste any movements and he's elite defensively. You know what I'm saying? He gets steals, super defense or super discipline, excuse me. He gets down the stance like he to me, I think he's the most NBA ready prospect right now in this draft. Like I know the top 3 is really really good, but like right. and, you know, you got some other dudes that people love too, but Benedict Mather, man, like I'm, I'm trying to tell people like wake up cuz this dude is a true. I believe he's from Montreal, you know, I'm in Canada. Yep. Um, yep. Came out to play at Arizona the past 2 years again. Another dude that's been in college for 2 years. And watch out for that dude, man. I'm telling you, that dude has all the tools to be, like, an elite NBA player. Dre, tell me about him. I agree 100%, honestly. I mean, Benedict, I mean, especially if you watch the tournament, like, you know, he, he, has, some, he has some really golden moments during the tournament. And one thing I will say is that, you know, I definitely agree with you when you talk about him being NBA ready. I don't know. I, I, just, look, I just look at his size. Like, you know, like, I, I just feel like, you know, he has mm-hmm. the right weight. He has the right strength, you know, like, just to be yep. able to compete with a lot of NBA guys. Definitely a great, you know – Definitely super athletic, a great spot-up shooter. The one thing that I do want to see from him is, like, you know, can he be more of, like, a shot creator? Like, can he work around the mid-range? Can, you know, can he be able to, you know, create his own shot? So that's definitely one thing that's up in the air. But besides that, he has a really high release. So, you know, it's definitely hard, you know, to block a shot. And then, I mean, when he when he wants to be, he can be, like, a really elite defender, in my opinion. Like, there were times, that, you know, throughout Arizona season where I did catch him ball watching at times. So, you know, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe there were times where, you know, he wasn't, engaged to the game but you know whenever he's locked in and actually engaged you know he, he can be he, he can be a, a really elite defender so Benedict is a really good two-way player and I definitely agree with you um he might he might honestly have a shot at be, being a rookie of the year who knows honestly 100 percent. like you said NBA ready those guys win rookie of the year way more than other people shouts out to my guy Michael Carter Williams doing his thing back in the day but I'm glad you brought him up. I didn't want to bring – I had a few guys on this list that were wings slash guards. I didn't want to stuff the list with that, and Matherin falls into that category. He's 6'6", 
plays a little bit of guard, plays a little bit of wing, but I have heard a lot about this dude. A lot of people with mid picks in the lottery are hoping that he falls to them. The Knicks, I've seen a lot, uh, hoping for Ben to come through. The guy is a sniper, and he's a sniper at 6'6", which is really hard to do. He's not just some shooter that's going to be good and he can do that. No, he's going into the league as an absolute fucking sniper, which is really hard to do uh, at the size that he is. And like Dre said, bringing some defense to the table as well. If he ends up a 3 and D guy, that's if he ends up Herb Jones with a real like three-point shooter, that's an all-star. Like you said, he's going to be a real player. It ends up on where he can be in a self-creation guy because that lends up to an entirely different ceiling entirely. And yeah. hopefully the team that drafts him takes it. Like you said, Portland SM would be great. Stuff I'm seeing is six, five here. It's hard to do like perfect situations that they're going to be in there, but with that shooting – any of these teams would be great. Indiana could use him. Portland could use him. New Orleans, another way to just throw in there some shooting for Zion. San Antonio can add it to them. Washington, basically what you've been trying to draft with Brewery and Denny these past few years. New York. Any yeah. of those teams I listed, anything that you guys – I mean, are you guys – obviously, Kev, you sound like a huge fan of Benedict. Is there anyone – any team that you're praying lands him in the draft? I haven't yeah, I mean, thought about teams. This is probably worst-case scenario. Um, for him, at least, it's probably Atlanta at 16. I just sure. think he, like, in a couple of years, I think he'd be, no offense, but I think he'd be way better than Kevin Herter or any guy that they currently have, you know, next to Trey right now. I like DeAndre okay. Hunter, too. Don't get it twisted. But I just think a big thing that Trey Young is missing right now is just multiple 3 and D guys next to him, kind of like how Luka, how they kind of, you know, the Dallas mm-hmm. did for Luka this year with Reggie Bullock and uh, Dorian Finney-Smith. Like, you need that nowadays because – yeah. Best players in the in the league are all pretty much wings, you know what I'm saying, and that's what you, yeah that's the key to success. So, I think you get a guy like that next to Trey, man, man, that's that's scary for real. That's scary. Yeah, if, Dorian Finney-Smith would be starting for basically any playoff team um, yep. this year. So if you can get a guy like that, you should try to. We're going to wrap that up for draft stuff right now. Like I said, a lot more coming in the future. We'll be reaching out to some previous guests that we've had on there because I do want to do a full-on mock draft on the pod at some point after we've done some research on these guys. But in the meantime, Dre is taking talking a look at uh, NBA Draft on now. If you want to check that out, uh, some Definitely. good content out there that they have for – what I am expecting to be one of the funnest drafts that we had in a while. And like Kevin said, every year it seems like there's just more and more talent and a lot more teams are smarter with their drafting. So what we're going to move on to now is some around the league news. Like I said, we finally have some drama. And while we got the heat guy in the house, let's talk about Pat Riley's press conference, shall we? Let's start with this comment on Kyle Lowry. And we're not going to get too – no, don't be too mean about it, but this is what Pat Riley says on Kyle Lowry's conditioning. The bottom line with me and for me as far as hoping you can get the most out of a player is that you have to be in world-class shape. You just have to be. He's definitely going to have to address that, and it will be addressed. Miami has famously the whatever body fat percentage rule where you have to be in the best shape of your life to play in Miami. Miami. Recently, a couple of weeks ago, we found out that was the reason that Jermaine O'Neal didn't stay in Miami when LeBron and company came in town. And Kyle Lowry's always had a reputation, whether it's fair or not, of being a thick dude, thick with two C's and no K. All right. A lot of people talk about his ass on Twitter. I see it every single time he's playing. That's terrible, man. It's just true. All right. 
I am not having it's not a positive thing, it's not a negative thing. I'm just saying that on Twitter, I see I see more stuff about Lowry's ass than I do about the ring he's got in his finger. I'll say that much. Okay. And people have said that. I, I didn't think the conditioning was over. I mean, he was dealing with injuries the whole year, so we didn't know like if it was dependent on that. But Pat Riley, this statement is clearly meant not for the audience or the reporters. This is meant for Lowry. Like this is meant yeah. for a message to Lowry. He gotta get in shape. And I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, but as the Miami Heat fam, Kevo, um, I don't know. Did you take anything away from that? I mean, not really, to be honest. Like, I feel like every time, like, uh, the tiniest bit of news pops, like, NBA fans are just so quick to, like, assume the worst-case scenario. You right. know what I'm saying? Like, to me, it's just, like, he didn't look like he was in the greatest shape. And let's be fair, like, he was coming off a hamstring injury. It's kind of yeah. tougher to deal with that as you get older. You know, he's, what, 36, I think. Um, like you said, he was also in and out the lineup all season long for injuries and personal reasons that we still don't know about. It's not our business. So, like, I'm, I'm not putting too much into it. I think he'll be fine. A lot of Heat fans are kind of just going in on him because he wasn't the greatest in the playoffs. But, like, when he was yeah. playing, we did look kind of like a better team a little bit. Not, You know, sometimes he definitely looked bad. I ain't going to lie. Like, he shouldn't have been playing. Like, especially those couple games he played in the Philly series, like, he shouldn't have been out there. He looked terrible. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. Man. I'm, I'm, I'm fully expecting – um, him to come back even better. I'm glad Pat Riley said it because I like honesty. A lot of people always ask for honesty, but then once they hear it, they don't agree with it. Then they're like True. all mad and up in arms and stuff. I'm just like, he said how he feels. I respect it. And hopefully they work it out. And I assume that they will. Riley, um, on the question of whether he's going to retire or step away from the team at some point, says that I'm 77 years old and right now I can do more push-ups than you can right now. <laughs> I actually don't doubt that. I can do a decent amount of push-ups. I do be working out, but that man has been in Miami, where they've been doing the whole thing for a long time there. And last comment from Riley here on Tyler Hero. I think after a, a, an exit interview, after they lost in the playoffs, Hero said that it's he's ready to start. He feels like he deserves a starting uh, thing. He's the reigning sixth man of the year, and typically six men get promotions to the starting lineup. Obviously, people prefer to stay in those roles. There's guys like Bobby Portis who are totally cool with that. But Hero is, and this is nothing, this is not a negative thing whatsoever. I do it. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of Tyler Hero. He grew up in Greenfield, which is a suburb of Milwaukee. I'm very familiar with it, and then developed a black scent when he went to the league. Not a massive fan of that shit, but he's a good player. <laughs> He's going to make a shitload of money, and if I was him, I would want I I would feel that I deserve to start as well, especially on a team that needs half-court offense as desperately as Miami does. This is Pat Riley's somewhat response to that, not directly, but a reporter asked him, as far as being a starter, come to training camp and win it. And that's yep. the right way to do it. I mean, maybe Hero thinks that he's done it during the games of the series, been in the league four years now, but... I mean, regardless of Pat's comments, Kev, do you think that Hero has earned it? Do you want to see him in the starting lineup more? I'll be honest with you guys. I don't even want him on the team anymore. <laughs> um, I'm being really? honest with you guys. Um, I, even I, after I, this six-man season? Yeah, man. And, like, the thing with, the thing about it is, like, don't get it twisted. I like Tyler Hero. Like, I really do. Don't get it twisted at all. But the thing is, I just don't think – he's the answer for this team because when he sure. got drafted, everybody was trying to compare him to Devin Booker. I'm just like, did y'all watch Devin Booker in high school? Did y'all right. watch Devin Booker? I don't, Booker I don't understand that at all. Like, come on. Now. I understand this is idle, but to compare him to Devin Booker, like D Booker is an elite score in this league. If you have not seen or noticed. And so like, to me, like, especially with watching the way that Jimmy Butler carried us this year, like I feel like the heat owe it to Jimmy to do whatever in their power to get to that championship ring. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, right. I don't think you have time to wait on Tyler Hero. Like, with all due respect, I'd much rather wait on Bam. I have no problem with Bam whatsoever. But 
My thing with T Hero is two things. The first thing is when you're watching him play, he relies on tough buckets. Like, yeah. he, like he settles for tough, contested mid-range jumpers a lot. And that's a hard shot. You know what I'm saying? And so when that's not falling, he's not really effective. And the second thing is, and that's been a, a big problem ever since he came into the league, is his handle is just not where it needs to be. Like, He's not able to create enough separation. I know you say we need more offense, which is very, very true. That's why I'm right. all in. I'm all in on a team that says trade for Bradley Burr, trade for Donovan Mitchell. I know we're probably getting a D Mitch in a minute, but right. I'm all in on that train. Like I like again, I like Tyler Hero, but I just don't think he's the answer to be that next score that Jimmy Butler and the Heat clearly need. Cause right. he he's he's limited physically too. You know what I'm saying? He's not as strong. He, he'll have a real offseason to try and work that out. But I'm all in with Pat Riley here. Like Bro, go to training camp and earn your spot. Otherwise, I really do hope they trade him, but that's just me. Hero's closer to Jordan Clarkson than he is Devin Booker, and Clarkson's <laughs> stay on the bench in this league, or they stay on the sixth man. And I'm a fan of Clarkson too, by the way. But I love Clarkson. Yeah, big thing with Booker is that, I mean, you can say that they have like similar shot profiles, but Booker's just bigger. He's taller, he's longer, exactly. and he's got more weight on his body. He's got more muscle, and he gives a shit on the defensive end. I mean – He's not a two-way star, but he's a two-way. I don't even see that comparison. Like I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to look at the two play styles. I, I don't see it. I don't uh, see it at all. Yeah, I, I think, I think Hero has tried to model his game a lot of it. I think he yeah, talks yeah. about Booker a lot, where they probably do that. You know, it's kind of like how they do with everyone's idols and stuff. But for mm-hmm. me, it's more Clarkson, especially the tough buckets. They, yep. I, and and when they hit those buckets, man, there's nothing. There's not a lot better to watch in this league when those dudes just start hitting tough buckets. But those guys stay on the bench. Clarkson exactly. hasn't started since his first couple of years where people thought he was going to be a lot more than that. He's been a great sixth man since then, but I don't really see him starting on a team that makes the playoffs for the rest of his career. And maybe Hero develops and maybe he doesn't. It's a good trade chip for a Mitchell trade. I will say that, and that's going to be very interesting. We're going to skip that really quick, and we're going to go to Darvin Ham. The goal. I'm a huge Darvin Ham guy, obviously, as a Bucks fan. He's been on the bench for – Four years with Budenholzer, five more behind that in Atlanta with him. And he seems like maybe one of the perfect choices for the Los Angeles Lakers. First bit of news from today is Sheed, ball don't lie, four-time NBA All-Star Sheed Wallace. is from Shams, if you give a shit. I mean, everyone's tweeting the same thing anyways. But Shams tweeted, four-time NBA All-Star Rasheed Wallace has agreed on a deal to be an assistant coach for the Lakers and a new head coach, Darvin Ham. They were teammates in Detroit, and they won a title together in 2004. Um, Sheed was in Memphis with Penny Hardaway before this as an assistant mm-hmm. um, and got yep. the job from Darvin. I think, first and foremost, this is either really good news or really bad news for Anthony Davis because Darvin and Rashid are not going to let him sulk and have bad games, you know? So either that means, and this is a quote from Darvin, I don't have the exact quote, but he did say something like, um, we need AD to be consistent. That's a quote that he had during his press conference. So either AD breaks down Ben Simmons style, which I really don't think is going to happen, or AD might have the best season of his career. What do you guys think about that? Drago I, I like it honestly. I like I like I I really love the Darvin Ham signing and I feel like it's really good because I feel like he's he's that type of coach where you know he's gonna have the players bought in, you know, and engaged and everything. Like he's really gonna have their ear and you know, like they're really gonna want to listen to him. We already saw, you know, LeBron tweet out like right right like right at right right after they announced the hire, you know, how he was excited about it. And he seems he seems really optimistic about this upcoming year. I mean he even he even had um he even has some comments about um 
Russell Westbrook, you know, out and how he yep. needs to be in attack mode this year. So, yep. you know, for having, you know, for having, having a guy like having a guy like him, you know, who has ties to that, uh, to that franchise as he, um, I think he was in, uh, I think it was in the coast like 10 years ago when uh, Kobe was still there. So with him already having ties to that franchise and on top of that, you know, you bring in, you're bringing in sheet as well, who is um, maybe a champion as well. The, the Lakers are probably, this is probably the first thing the Lakers have gotten right. The first thing the Lakers have gotten right in a little while. If you want to think about time. it. Yeah. Yeah, seems like it. And High Ham's got experience with not only one of the best forwards in this game, but one of the hardest working forwards in this game. I know AD probably won't want to be like, you should be more like Giannis. I'm sure he doesn't want to hear that. But if he wants to hit that next level work wise, he does need to be like that. Um, in terms of Russ, yeah, one of the main things he said was that Russ needs to sacrifice and that he needs to go back to being the defender that everyone knows he can be. If you want to do revisionist history, you can say that Russ hasn't given a shit about defense for his entire career. And that's only true for about the past three or four years where he really, mm -hmm. as soon as he became the triple double God, I personally, I wouldn't have the energy to play, you know, elite level <laughs> defense, but he didn't play any of it. But those OKC days, man, obviously relying on a lot of elite athleticism, but the dude would put clamps on you if he needed to. And yep. Ham said, this year, it's going to be defense. They want to focus on defense this year. I wouldn't be surprised to see a guy like Stanley Johnson come back because of that, Just get some more bodies in there defensively. Do you guys think, oh, let's start with Kevo, um, Russ, they're going to keep him. They're, they're doing the smart thing, which Lakers fans aren't happy about. They're not going to trade unprotected picks in 2025 and 2027 just to get rid of the Russ contract for a couple of other bad contracts. Like, if you can get both Turner and Brogdon in a deal for that, you probably do that, but that's not on the table. It's John Wall. It's other guys like that. So mm -hmm. Russ is staying. And with a new coach, a new system, maybe a little bit more of optimism. Kevin, do you think that he can bounce back a little bit from what was probably his worst season of his career? A hundred percent. And I think I'm from L.A., so, like, I know the type of criticism he was facing. And I know, like, especially where he's from, like, he took a lot of, um, I guess you could say, shots in the dark. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. Death threats and everything. All that, you know, it, and it's sad to see because at the end of the day, it's just sports. We all love it, but come on now. Like, we're better yeah, than yeah. dance. But, like, I think that's going to fuel them. Like, I really do think, like, a lot of people are counting him out. And I ain't going to lie, like, I've never been the biggest Russ fan, but just being a basketball fan, I admire how hard he plays the game. You know what I'm saying? I, I want all players, and we should as fans, want all players to give the same intensity that Russell Westbrook brings to the game. You know what I'm saying? I think that's fair. But, um, I think the biggest thing, like, when you talk about sacrifice, like, I think the biggest adjustment for them is that they should honestly, it's going to sound crazy saying, you guys have probably heard this already too because people have been saying it, but they should try and experiment him like how the Nets use Bruce Brown. Like, yeah, I right. think that's one of the best ways that you can go. You know what I'm saying? Use him as that screener sometimes. Let him, you know, make decisions in, in that mid-range area and let him do that. And sometimes, obviously, when LeBron's not in the game, let him be that primary dude. You know what I'm saying? Let him do what he wants to do. Yeah. His entire career, like we've said, he's been in OKC, and he always had the ball in his hands 24-7. It was always his right. team. And it's hard to adjust to that and come back to a place where you really have to sacrifice now because you're trying to go to another level. You're trying to get a championship. And now you're playing with two dudes with LeBron and AD. you got to sacrifice. And with AD, right. I think a big issue with AD, AD to me, he has the same issues that most of the stars in today's game have, like – a lot of people love Carl Anthony Towns, and I enjoy Carl Anthony Towns too, but right. he doesn't bring what he's supposed to bring every day. I understand he's super skilled, he's super talented, yeah. 
But it's kind of like he needs to get that. that dog into him. Like he needs to be pushed. You know what I'm saying? I think getting a guy like Rasheed Wallace is gonna do that for AD. I feel like AD they won that championship, and then ever since he's just been kind of coasting, and he just thinks like he's arrived, he's here. And yeah. You know, AD's a great. He's a he's a talented player. Don't yep. get twisted. But we all can go to that next level. Like your guy Giannis. Giannis yep. doesn't settle. Giannis wants more. You know what I'm saying? I I love that. Like I'm yeah. not the big bucks guy, but I respect that because you you shouldn't be settled if you're trying to be great. And I think AD. And a guy like Cat need that. And I think getting Rasheed Wallace should help him a lot. Specifically with Russ, when you use him with LeBron and AD in the starting lineup, like you said, use him like Bruce Brown, use him like Golden State, uses Gary Payton the second, like a super jumbo version of those players. And then when he's off, uh, when on the AD and LeBron are off the bench, this is why you got Russell Westbrook in the first place is to have yep. someone that can do the thing. Then you treat him like uh, Brooklyn Nets James Harden last year when they put KD and Kyrie on the bench, just him and five shooters and defenders, and let him run the whole thing. There's a template there, and it it's it partially dependent on Russ's health because it hasn't always been there, but he has to accept that role. And we're yeah. not sure if he can do it because people have been telling him for years he needs to screen more, he needs to be more selective with his shot profile. But if I'm being honest, if Darvin and Sheed can't do it, then probably no one can. But that gives me a lot of hope in them getting to Russ this year. I I'm not this guy that's going to choose the Lakers as finals bound or anything next year. I certainly didn't do it this year if you go back to, to those episodes. But there's definitely a little bit more that we can see. And another thing that we've pointed to that shows that they're doing things the right way is Palinka after the press conference, said that he's hoping to buy at least one second-round pick in the draft to try and develop some guys. We were just talking about the draft. A lot of these guys are going to fall. They're going to yeah. slip to the second round. I've seen people claim that as far as 20 to 40, no one knows the uh, the mm. order of that. So guys that you think could go in the top 20 could end up being at 40. And if you buy a pick in that area, you might get something. I really like that idea for the for the Lakers. Darvin Ham is a great developmental guy. I'm sure she gets the mentality for you there. Once we get closer to draft season, maybe once we find we find out they have bought a pick, we can talk about who they can target because obviously we have no idea where they're going to be. But signs for the Lakers, and not that the Lakers need good news with all the you know history that they've had, but some good news for the Lakers after what was really a piss-poor year that we didn't see. Let's get into some trade rumors uh, just so we can get a little bit of clicks off, some clickbait here. Our boy PB&J, Pat Benson Jr., was on the pod hey. about a month ago. Big shouts to our boy. You can find him at Pat Benson Jr. Um, and his Twitter is up on the screen right now if you're watching on YouTube. First, from Mark Stein, the Hawks are expected to pursue Jeremy Grant in a trade this offseason. Right off the bat, how do you guys feel about that? Let's start with Kev. That's what they need. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, again, like, to me, like, you look at the young stars in the league, LaMelo, Luca, Trey, and even Darius Garland, they could use all the two-way wings that you can get. Yes. You know what I'm saying? You need that. It's a, it's a quintessential now. Like, you look at your bucks, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Wesley Matthews. Like, you look at the Celtics, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus right. Smart. Like, you need that. You look at my heat, Jimmy, P.J. Tucker. Like, that perimeter defense is so essential in today's game now, man. Like, it's just important. Like, that's how you have to go. And the Hawks have to do that. Like, to me, the Hawks, honestly, like, as currently constructed, they have a lot of really good role players. They yeah. kind of need a star. But I wouldn't rush to get that star because Trey is the same age as me. I think Trey's only, like, 23 right now. So, like, right. you have time to make it work. You know what I'm saying? I think they already they already gave him the max, if I'm not mistaken. Like, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Turn, you know what I'm saying? So just play it out and then just wait until that star rise because it's always going to be a star. I, for some reason, I don't know why Atlanta is not able to attract more free agents because Atlanta is a nice city, in my opinion. Yeah. It would kind of weird. Maybe it's because, you know, dude's not trying to live that nightlife. But um, I think Jeremy Grant to Atlanta will help them out in a lot of ways, honestly. Dre, do you think that's a worth it for Atlanta? I mean, I don't know what the deal would look like. They've got the number 16 pick in this draft. They've got some draft capital. they got that Charlotte pick they got in the Cam Reddish trade. They can yeah. include a couple of young guys in there. Um, do you think this is a worthwhile move for Atlanta to acquire a guy like Jeremy Grant? Yeah, I was I was definitely questioning, like, you know, like, what is Atlanta going to, like, send in return? But, you know, if you can do whatever it takes, you know, I, I would say go for it. You know, Jeremy Grant, like Kevin uh, mentioned, you know, he's a great elite uh, two-way player. And I feel like, you know, that's what, you know, that's what you need alongside, you know, a guy like Trey Young. So, I'm, I mean, if you, if you can make it happen, you know, definitely make it happen. I mean, I know I know that in um, episodes in the past, you know, we were always talking about, you know, destination for Jeremy Green, you know, and like, you know, where he would fit. I don't I don't remember if we mentioned Atlanta, but if you think about it, you know, if you can if you can match him with guys like Trey, uh, who else would probably be still on a team? Um, would DeAndre Hunter still be a part of the team, you think, or would he be a part I of the team? I don't think they trade Hunter for Jeremy Grant. They yeah. might, but I don't think – like, I don't – I wouldn't necessarily say that DeAndre Hunter is better or going to be better than Jeremy Grant. I just – if they're going to do an all-in move for that, it's going to be for someone better than Jeremy. Yeah. Probably but, like Kevin Harder. In a yeah, I heard it. That's what I'm thinking. Um, um, Sharif Cooper, you can throw in there. Jalen Johnson, who they drafted last year. A couple of picks. Lower yeah. level stuff. As long as it's not Onyeka, good. Yeah, can't try oh, Onyeka. If they trade Onyeka, that is a bad fucking move, man. And yeah. if you can get Onyeka for something as cheap as Jeremy Grant, you do that shit right now. Let's be fucking mm-hmm. real. On the other end of Atlanta rumors, not someone coming in, but potentially going out. We've been talking about John Collins potentially being traded for two three years now which i personally think is a mistake we've talked about this many times on this (laughs) podcast but portland is apparently uh interested so let's do this really quick i don't see how much you would be able to add in this deal but let's say the deal is this number seven for john collins if you're portland do you trade number seven for john collins kevin no right um and i i say this because i don't know how you guys feel about john collins but i'm not high on john collins at all like I feel like he's one of those dudes where Atlanta loves him because they made that good run last year. But like the rest of the fans in the league, they look at him as just like, man, like he's one of those players that he does a lot of good things well, but he doesn't do anything elite in my opinion. You know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't have a great post game. He's not a real threat offensively like that, you know, outside of the corner three. Like, again, he just does a lot of things good, but he doesn't have like an elite skill set that makes him pop out. So that's my biggest thing with him. Like he's not a, He's not an all-star level player to me. That's not a knock, obviously. Like, he's sure. getting a $100 million. Like, I would love to have that. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. But, <laughs> like, he's, done, he's doing something right, clearly. But I just think he – I feel like the people are falling in love with the idea of him more than the actual player. And so I think that's the big issue. But I wouldn't do it. I just think with this draft class, no, I wouldn't. I couldn't do it. Dre, we've talked a lot of praises of Collins on this podcast. Do you agree with that, or would you trade number seven for Don Collins? Honestly, agree with uh, what Kevin is saying, and it sucks because I mean, coming into coming to the NBA, I was super high on John Collins. You know, I thought that he was going to be like one of the more elite power forwards in the league, but yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe Atlanta's just not the not the fit for him. You know, we we we've heard him throughout the years. You know, have that chemistry issue alongside Trey Young. You know, it seemed it seemed like it seemed like they're cool off the court, but it seemed like on the court, you know, they just can't seem to really figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Portland should say no to that. Honestly, I mean, you know. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking at I'm looking at the situation. You know, you still have a guy like Damian Lillard. 
And obviously, you know, when you do have a guy like Dame Lillard, you know, you still want to at least try to be a playoff contender unless they just want to go in a new direction. So yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that I'm not saying that I'm against it, but if Portland were to make that happen, I wouldn't be too mad about that either. I'm higher on Collins than you guys are, I think. Not that he's going to be this megastar by any means. I think he can get a couple of all-stars on the thing. I think he's, like, as good, if not better, than Bobby Portis, who is way, like, overqualified for his – like, the guy could be making 20 mil somewhere else if he wanted to start mm-hmm. for a team. You know what I mean? Um, so – my thing is with Collins, I don't think he's necessarily your anchor or your number one big man. But if he's a guy that you can add to an another elite big man, I think it's a front court worthwhile. Like this is out of nowhere. I don't even know if the money works. But if you could pair Collins with Jay and Jackson Jr. in a backcourt, I think that goes fucking bananas. I think you can I think the future of this league is things that Cleveland is doing with Mobley and Jared Allen and Laurie Markinen. If you can get elite bigs next to each other that can play multiple positions, it's what it's going to do. We're going to see it next year with Orlando. I'm calling it right now. They're going to run Wendell Carter Jr. and Chet Holmgren in the same lineup, and it's going to go crazy. I promise you guys. So if you can do that with Collins, the issue is with Portland, what they'd be doing here is making him your number one big man. Now, if they chase DeAndre Ayton in offseason like we're assuming they will as well, Maybe you do that too, and you compare them. That's pretty fun. But for Collins to be your number one guy, I'm not trading number seven for him. We just talked about a slew of guys that are better than John Collins at number seven and are going to be way cheaper in the meantime as well. So I wouldn't do that particular deal. But if you can get Collins for something like a like a, like a a number 12 pick or something like that, and you can pair him with someone, say OKC drafts Jabari Smith or Paolo, um, and they trade the number twelve pick that they have for John Collins. Although I'd probably just keep that and draft Jeremy Sochan, but that's yeah, I would probably keep that in my opinion, especially if you got. I mean, especially if you got a guy like Paolo or um, Jabari Smith. Yeah. Speaking of Aiton, we just mentioned he has likely played his last game in a Suns uniform. I don't know how accurate it is, but it does come from John Hollinger of the Athletic, who was a really bad general manager, but he's usually pretty <laughs> solid with his sources. So. I think we know this. I don't know if it's his last year. I see a lot of Suns people on Twitter saying that they're going to match any offer that he gets, play at least one more year, and if they don't win a title, that's when they'll trade him for something. But it seems like this is going to be a divorce sooner rather than later. Let's start with this question. If you're the Phoenix Suns, not even that. Let's not do this because it's a different circumstance. If you're a team in the NBA – and you've seen what DeAndre Ayton does. Dre, do you give him a max contract? Man, if this is last year, I probably would have said yeah. But Kevin, do you give him a max contract? It depends on the situation. Right. I, I know yes. it's, I know it's kind of a cop out, but like for instance, say if, if he goes to Detroit or Charlotte, yeah. I'll probably give him a max. Why? Because you have the leeway because your young stars are still young. You know what I'm saying? You still, Cade and, and LaMelo are both on the rookie contracts. You give it a little time. You can probably sneak in a little good draft pick and get some players, maybe make a trade, you know, whatever. So if the, if, it, if I were those teams, maybe even Atlanta too. You know what I'm saying? If I were, sure. if I, were I could do it, even though obviously we just talked about Big O, who should be their guy down there. But like, again, it depends on the situation. Like, if it's, I don't know, like a real contending team, maybe not. Um, just because you want to have room to probably add on to that. But I don't know. If I'm Phoenix, first of all, I think Phoenix just completely botched the situation. Like, yeah. they they did not handle as well. I didn't like how Monty I agree. Williams – I didn't like how Monty Williams kind of just, like, dismissed him after the game and kind of just yeah. caught out of character. Like, I just felt like 
Mon- I, I feel like Monty's a better coach than that one. I think two, you should just you shouldn't do that, especially because I thought they should have just given him the ball more in the playoffs. Like, I don't think he got yeah. the proper amount of touches, in my opinion. Um, so I think it just matters on the situation, man. To be honest with you guys, I agree. It's uh, Phoenix has to get something, though. I think a sign and trade this year gets you a lot less than you're expecting. Like nightmare scenario, you get like a you don't get the number seven, but you get a future pick from Portland and like Yusuf Nurkic in a sign and trade. <laughs> that is not going to get you back to the finals. You can try and get a guy like Jakob Pertl from the San Antonio Spurs, who I really fucking like. But that that I, I honestly like that. I saw I saw a couple of people talking about it. It would have to be one other player, I think. But Jakob Pertl is a starting center in this league. Defensively, he's one of the. Oh yeah, definitely, without question. So, I like that. Yeah, yeah, but Aiden has more potential than Jakob does to have an offensive impact on the game. He doesn't have great post moves either of them, but Aiden especially, um, and he's got better touch though. But. You get him on a team with a guard like Chris Paul, you should be able to get mismatches and you should be able to score in those mismatches. But for whatever reason, he wasn't getting the ball in those mismatches. Does a team like Atlanta give him that? I mean, John Collins is already pretty frustrated with the amount of time that he gets the ball with with Trey Young. Can you get him over to a team like Dallas, who is rumored to chase Rudy Gobert, but if they not, maybe they pivot to DeAndre Ayton. Maybe Luka gives him some more chances there. I don't know, but... It looks like it's gonna just. It looks like it's gonna be ugly, and they're so lucky that they got McHale on that cheap ass contract where they still had a chance because this whole thing would have been happening again, man. Whole thing. I don't want to talk about the Suns anymore, so let's talk about the Hornets. Um, I think beyond the next team that we'll talk about, the only coaching vacancy left are down to two candidates: Kenny Atkinson, best known for that Brooklyn Nets year, really solid year with D'Angelo Russell, that really fun team. That was just gutted for superstars, which you do if you have a chance to. I don't, if you have a chance to get those two guys, you probably have to. And of course, much like the Brett Browns and the David Blatts of the world, he got sacrificed as the altar when the team wasn't doing as well as people expected. I think Atkins is a great coach. I think if you're a team like Charlotte, doesn't have any fucking defense, he's a guy that can give a, a better system in place defensively and push your guys. He's a great spirit guy in that sort of sense. On the other hand, though, and I think. Atkinson is the better choice here. As a coach, he's the better co- the choice. On the other hand, though, Dan Tony would unlock a level of LaMelo that very few coaches could do. And if that's your primary concern with this is LaMelo's development, you let Dan Tony and in and he averages like 25 and 12. You know what I mean? Some crazy shit from LaMelo just because that's how Dan Tony runs things. And for the sake of fun, I would probably choose that just to see how high LaMelo's ceiling goes right away with Dan Tony in there. Let's start with Dre. I know you're sick of Dan Tony. Hell, you're probably sick of Atkinson at this point too, but you got a choice between those guys? Honestly, with the way that Charlotte plays, especially with the way that, you know, LaMelo – you know, really, really like, you know, dictates the pace of the game and then, and, and of course, you know, runs the floor with the ball. D'Antoni honestly makes sense if you want that fun style of basketball. Now, there may not be right. any defense that that comes along, that comes along yep. with the table. So, will you go for, for will you go for um, a guy like Kenny at, at, um, Atkinson in that case? So, I don't know. It's really just all about, you know, preface. Like, you know, if you want to, like, you know, be able to, like, sell out tickets and, you know, have that fun style of basketball, then, of course, D'Antoni is the guy for you. You know, kind of I guess you could say it could probably bring back some old memories from you know from, from the Suns uh, the Suns day with uh, Steve Nash and Mari and the rest of those guys, but 
I just feel like, you know, Kenny Axon may be the more complete coach, honestly, if you want to think about it. So I'll, pro- I'll probably go Kenny. Kevo, how do you feel? I go Kenny. And for yeah. all the reasons Nick just said, like, I just feel like he would help them, the, the Hornets, that is, unlock a team brand of basketball that they've been right. missing. You know what I'm saying? And like, I like, I'm, let me not say that. I'm not a big fan of Mike D'Antoni. Like, honestly, I'm kind of <laughs> like with Nick. I don't really like him at all like that just because sure. I just like, Obviously, the Hornets aren't really thinking about a championship right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, his style of play just doesn't equate to championship basketball, in my opinion. I think it gets you a lot of wins in the regular season. That's a good yeah. thing. That's what good coaches do. Don't get it twisted. I'm not going to sit here and say he's a bad coach by any means. But even though that would be fun to see LaMelo be unlocked, like how James Harden was and Steve Nash was, I want the Hornets to take that next leap because, yeah. like, I feel like a lot of people kind of dismiss LaMelo because of his situation, because the Hawks have done a pretty fair job by Trey Young. The Mavericks have done a pretty good job with Luka. The yeah. Cavs have done a pretty good job with Darius Garland. Michael Jordan has not done the best job that he possibly could getting a guy like LaMelo Ball. And, like, right. you need to maximize that because you don't get guys like that in Charlotte. LaMelo Ball is a – I won't even call him a unicorn, but he's just a different breed. Like, you just don't yeah. see guys like he's a legit 6 eight. I've been watching him my entire – I used to play against him when we were, like, five – at this little auxiliary gym, but like he still kind of plays the exact same, but, he, but obviously he's six eight now, six seven, yeah. whatever. super lanky, elite passer. You know, his jumper's only going to get better. And I think he needs a coach like Atkinson to tap into that defense. Like Nick said, like, Dan Tony not preaching no type of defense. Like, let's be right. honest, he's all right. offense, and they need a guy that can just bring out the best and not just from an individual stats wise, but as a team basketball player. And the middle knows how to play basketball, don't get it twisted, but. Oh, I yeah, think yeah. he needs that. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. think Kenny Atkinson is just the perfect. I love Kenny Atkinson. Like, I'm a huge Kenny Atkinson fan. I really wanted the Lakers to go after him. But, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, I think they made a good decision with him regardless, though. But I think the Hornets, if Michael Jordan really wants to maximize the time he's going to have with the mellow ball, you got to go with Kenny Atkinson, man, in my opinion. Yeah, I think, I mean, regardless of what happens, Atkinson should have had a job these past couple of years beyond sure. an assistant. Yeah, um, a lot of openings. I, I think the Portland job should have gone to him easily. I'm not a Chauncey guy myself, but um, beyond beyond the ho- coaching thing, there's going to be a way more things that they need to do this offseason. Mm-hmm. Main thing is that Lamelo has not been a b- bunch of defense. Motherfucker has never had a center. Like he's never had like an actual center. Mason Plumlee, he's cool, I guess. You know, he can pass the ball a little bit, move the rock. Trez Harrell's got, you know, cool color dreads and he's, you know, he, he yells at Bev, but he's not doing shit, no you know. Um, so listen, the Hornets are going to draft Mark Williams. They're going to see a real center this year. If they don't trade for someone else, I think they're going to draft Mark Williams. Um, we'll see that for sure, at least hopefully. And hopefully the coaching decision that they make will fit the roster decision that they go as well. Let's talk about the other head coach opening that only happened a couple of days ago. Quinn Snyder, who is, I think, widely considered a top 10 coach in the league, regardless of how you feel about the Utah Jazz not doing anything in the playoffs, whether that's on him or the players faltering. A lot of teams have been rumored to be interested in him. He's stepping down. Um, foregoing the last year of his contract. So he's foregoing a bit of a paycheck there. And early rumors are that he's going to take a year off from coaching. I have a feeling that he might take an assistant job somewhere just to stay in, in rhythm and do a little bit of that. And um, But he'll probably take the year off, specifically because I don't think there's any more openings for him, head coaching-wise. But in Utah, I mean, do 
they're going to do other things. People are, I don't know if Donovan's getting traded. Honestly, I wouldn't trade him unless you get like everything. They got to blow it up at this point. You you should, but if someone's not offering you like a package, like a real fucking package for Donovan Mitchell, I'm not trading him. If you can get some good shit for Rudy, go for that. If you can get some shit for Jordan Clarkson, go for it. Boyan Bogdanovich, I'd strip it down. But Donnie, if you're not getting three, four firsts, and I'm serious, three, four firsts and a couple of young guys, I'm not doing that shit. But, I mean, what coach wants to step into the situation? It's not only, like, if they keep everyone around, it seems to be one of the most toxic environments for a team to be in. And if they do trade everyone, the expectations are going to be really weird. I mean, any anyone out there that you guys can think of, um, for this job, I don't think they're going to hire someone internally for this position. Anyone out there that you can think of, whether the the team goes one way or another, um, I think early reports had them looking at Terry fucking Stotts. No. Gotta love <laughs> yeah. Utah going no. for generic-ass white dudes for their coaches. But one of my favorite choices on their list is someone that I think should be the next assistant coach hired. Whoever's got an opening and you got a chance, you got to hire Johnny Bryan out of New York, all right? Oh, like that guy that. is going to be a good NBA coach. And honestly, if you're in New York, you should probably just fucking fire Thibodeau right now and keep Johnny mm-hmm. in town because someone's going to get him and you're going to feel bad about it. Um, Johnny Brown would be great, especially if they start over. Dre, any thoughts on a new coach for Utah? Do you, do you, I mean, I know you don't care. But... I don't give a shit at all, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, Whoever they can go after, man. I mean, just you know, make the most of it. But I mean, I, you already know, you already know where, where my stance is at with the Utah Jazz. I think it's just time to really blow it up. I mean, Rudy and Donovan, they don't, they don't work together. You know, they've been trying for years, and unfortunately, you know, I feel, I, I feel like, I feel like this first round loss against the Mavericks is really the breaking point to me. Like, yeah, I know, I know, I know, we, I know, we've all been back and forth, you know, between like, you know, who should be traded between Donovan and Rudy. Why not just let both of them go? Honestly, I mean, sure, you know sure. this. This team isn't really going anywhere, in my opinion, regardless of who they even get for a head coach, especially being in the West, you know, with teams like Memphis is still coming. Um, Dallas has shown that, you know, that they're going to do some damage moving forward. Um, Phoenix will still be there. I know, I know, Clippers I know they collapse. Next year. Oh, yeah, Clippers as well. Even, I don't know how high people are in the Lakers, but considering that, you know, that, that they just got Darvin Ham, you know, they, they'll yeah. probably be back as far as playoff contenders. So, we, oh, yeah, and then not to mention Golden State as well. So, when you look at all that, you know Utah is definitely not. Oh yeah, New Orleans too. Maybe with Zion. Yeah, like Mini, Mini's on the rise too. Oh yeah, Mini yeah. too. Oh yeah, like the West. The West is loaded. The, the West is going to be loaded next year, basically. Yeah. The West is going to be loaded, and with Utah, I just don't really see them really making that much noise, regardless of what happens. This is where I'm going to leave you guys, and I like your point, Dre, about blowing it up because if there's a year to tank. It's next year, all right? The West is going to have a lot of people trying to make the playoffs. The East has mm-hmm. a lot of people there, too. If you have a chance to blow everything up like the Orlando Magic did and the Indiana Pacers did in the past two seasons, get some picks and tank for a top pick, you do it because he's coming. Victor Wimbanyama is coming. Wemby yep. is, is here, man. Like, the way people talk about him, I don't think there's a chance he fails. Like, it's not like a, it's not hype. It's not myth. It's real. It's mm. happening. If oh, yeah. you get him, you are restarting your franchise with something crazy. If you're Portland, trade Dame for five picks, play a season with Anthony Simons doing dog shit and win zero <laughs> games. If you're Sacramento, trade Darren Fox for number 11 from New York, trade Julius Randle for number 16 or some shit, 
run the whole season with Johnny Bryan and the young guys. If you're Utah, trade Donnie for everything from Miami or someone else. Trade Rudy for two, three picks from someone else. Start over and try and get who's going to end up like the guy in this. This guy is going to be – if you if you're a team that's somewhat of a playoff contender and your best player gets hurt like Zion again, fucking pack it in. Because if you get this guy, it's going to change your franchise for a decade. This is the year to tank it. If you think I'm excited about this year's draft, I'm going to be talking about the tankathon all year and next year because whoever gets Wimbanyuma is going to have a serious fucking problem on their hands. That's going to wrap us up. I'm starting to get sweaty. And honestly, I got to go to bed. It's like 7.45 p.m. here, but I have been running on fumes all day. So we're going to wrap this up. I appreciate y'all opening your third eye once again, checking out the Hoop Truthers. Kevin, this is great. The first time we've interacted on this podcast. Definitely appreciate you having you on. Yeah. I want to plug your stuff real quick. You got the podcast. You got Twitter. Yeah. um, Again, appreciate you guys for having me on. Hope we can get a chance to do this again. I I enjoyed every second of it. Um, The Twitter is at EasyMoneyKev7. On my podcast, the Kevo Bands Hoops podcast, available on all platforms. Um, you know, I got work coming out with Nuts and Bolts Sports. I'm a college basketball writer. So, again, salute to you guys for having me on. I enjoyed it. And like I said, I hope we do it again. We will have you on again. I'm sure about that. Go give him a follow, guys. Uh, let's show Thanks. some love on Twitter. We'll be tweeting out his stuff off of the Hoop Truther Pod Twitter as well tomorrow. Dre, as always, man. I hope this finals anxiety isn't getting too much the better you. You guys are tied one one now, but you oh, got anything coming it's, up you want to plug? Oh uh, man, I mean besides besides being stressed about the Warriors, definitely follow me on Twitter at Nick Andre ATR. Uh, very active, covering everything high school, NBA, college, you know, you name it. Uh, a few series is also in the works as well. Look out for that in the next uh, coming off season. But besides that, man, I mean that's that's about it. We'll do more W stuff in the future, too. And we've got a little bit more time on the pod. We want to do a corner where we talk about the W. Specifically, Dre is watching it all the time. Give us a follow at Hoop Truther Pod on Twitter, Hoop Truther Studios on YouTube. Our beautiful faces are on there. And we're usually showing the tweets and whatever we're talking about on there for some visual stuff. You can follow me at underscore Guccifer. That's Lucifer with a G on Twitter. My full name isn't on there for obvious reasons because of how I'm tweeting. But... Thanks for checking us out, man. Give us a rating. Give us a like. Give us a retweet. Give us whatever. We will see you next week when we're talking finals. And hopefully, I'm hoping by next week, but maybe it'll be a week after that, we get a legit, we'll get a real draft. Uh, maybe get PD again on the thing for a mock draft episode where we can go pick by pick for the first draft. We'll keep you updated on that. We'll see you guys next week. Deuces. Deuces. Deuces.